This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Welcome back, Movie Nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Today we are... uh, very excited to be joined by, again by uh, Kyle Myers, my co-host, the the man, the myth, the legend, uh, for episode five, which is a long-awaited uh, conversation that we've been planning to have since we started talking about this podcast. So, Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, Hank. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be here. I I, I was joking before we started that. Um, Part of uh, the reason why uh, I, I love this podcast so much is the the conversations I get to have with uh, Kyle. I think the first time I'd met Kyle, I was like, yeah, I, I just want to talk to him. And so how can I make that happen? And so the podcast <laughs> then was in its genesis. Yeah, that's right. We had lunch, I think, and then and then the podcast. Yeah, emerged. And yeah. yeah, it was funny. It's great, though. Like we, we joke, too, because it took me so long to figure out how to do all the audio components of the of the podcast that we actually recorded way before our first episode dropped um, in November. Um, but as we're kind of getting started here, we've got a lot to talk about today, so we need to get right to it. But I did want to kind of pick your brain about a few elements in addition to our talk on Malik today. Sure. So obviously, uh, one of the things that's new on the podcast, we're trying a series to see, uh, to build up to Obi-Wan. Um, if you're interested at all at that, we've got two episodes out, uh, one on a trailer reaction and another on Star Wars mythology, which dropped on Wednesday, uh, uh, the 30th of this month of March. And so... I did want to ask, since obviously you are uh, somebody who is a fan of Star Wars as well, kind of what are your thoughts on on Star Wars overall? Like, you know, what do you enjoy about it? What was kind of your first interaction with it? You know, anything you feel like you want to share with our listeners today? Yeah, well, I definitely fall into the category of growing up in the 80s with everything Star Wars Mm -hmm. and experiencing Mm -hmm. the 90s uh, shift of George Lucas in, you know, changing uh, the original trilogy with some uh, digital digital um, variations um, into the prequels, and I'm actually uh, a huge fan of the prequels. Yeah, um, but that also, <clears throat> in terms of uh, cinematic perspective, uh, which I think maybe we mentioned this uh, previously, but Phantom Menace, uh, released in '99, was the first movie to be. I believe shot and exclusively projected digitally mm-hmm. uh, when everything was still running in film, and so that is also associated with kind of like the death of film, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and also obviously moving into twenty first century, um, and and opening up the door for digital green screen, you mm-hmm. know, everything. Um, so despite you know that and uh, George Lucas, uh, his uh, incredible inability to write dialogue. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'm a big fan of that early, um, or the, the prequel trilogy yeah. and, uh, the journey of, uh, young Anakin. Yeah, I am too. Like, I mean, I was a kid, like when it came out, I mean, have you always been a fan of the prequels? Like even back when they came out or something? Like, yeah, no, I, um, I did, you know, I was in college and just after college when those were coming out. Yeah. And so I wasn't, you know, watching critically. I was just you know, nerding out. I was just enjoying it. And so I was not, and it was, you know, the internet wasn't, you know, really a thing like it, obviously like it is now. 
Um, so I wasn't, you know, um, I, I heard from people that they didn't like, um, what's his name that everybody hates from the first one. Oh, that's right. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you know, he's annoying, but I didn't, uh, I didn't mind him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I just enjoyed Obi-Wan Kenobi. I enjoyed, you know, Anakin in part two and in part three, I think is a unique, uh, maybe one of the most unique entries, but also the music from the Phantom Menace. Uh, I just think. Uh, some of the best music John Williams ever oh, made. Yeah. <laughs> he um, went hard on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I I uh, love that's that probably is my favorite piece from him when they're fighting. Uh, what's his name? At the the duel of the fates. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's a great piece. Yeah, and I love the. Um, you're so right. I think I think even George Lucas said once that when he's like watching the playback of the movies uh, of the prequels, he's like, oh, maybe I did, went too far. And and he said, well, I don't think anybody's gonna be watching the movie. They're just gonna be listening to the score. Yeah, which right. Which is, is fair. And I love the montage even. And this shows up in the um, Obi Wan trailer. And because you mentioned the third film, yeah, the prequel trilogy. There's this other film kind of piece called the um, the Battle of the Heroes um, that kind of underscores into the Duel of the Fates. Underscores into the Duel of the Fates. Like it, it stops and then it transforms yeah, into that. Sure. And that kind of comes back even in the Obi Wan trailer and repeats that same theme. Like at the beginning of the trailer, it's uh, battle of the heroes and then it goes into duel of the fates and so yeah john williams i feel like is the um the unspoken like champion of all of star wars yeah he's been able to bring those movies to life um in ways that i don't think they would have been without his absolutely uh, man influence. yeah there's uh, absolutely um and even that you know era early 2000s era with lord of the rings as well uh was really the last before everything became like mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer, yeah. uh, Chris Nolan, um, rumbles of That's music, right? <laughs> right? That's such a good way to um, put it. And, uh, and, and very synth driven scores with independent films. And so, yeah. you know, I miss, I miss the epic, uh, very upfront, you know, symphony, yes. symphonic, uh, cinematic kind of music. Yeah. And one thing I've always really wanted to do, uh, one thing I've done and I, I continue to enjoy is whenever they show up, to do like a, a symphonic um, playing of yeah right of an actual score from a film you know yep. and they're they're doing that here in Columbus um, in May um, and Sweet. I, I went to one in in Nashville when I was in college and it was just one of the best experiences yeah um, and so if you have a chance listener to to attend one of those I would highly recommend it um, and I would recommend Kyle yeah too. absolutely <laughs> man one hundred yeah I did my son and I did one of those for the Legend of Zelda. Oh, even yeah, and that was excellent as well. Yeah, video game scores are another underrated. Uh, they are. Um, they really are. Piece. There's a. I, I forget the name of the composer, but one of my very close friends. He he loves this one composer so much that when we were in college in Nashville, he drove to uh, Detroit, Michigan, to attend uh, the one exclusive, at least within kind of uh, several years, of this one composer because he did like the tracks for Final Fantasy mm-hmm. and things like that, and has a lot of influence yeah so, sure yeah, that's that's a huge thing well well anyway just for uh to move us along here a little bit obviously uh the oscars have just happened um and there's a couple things about this i wanted to talk first of all just i wanted to ask kyle were there any surprises we i went back and kind of looked at our oscar kind of predictions and uh there wasn't a ton that went with what we were thinking i think coda kind of came out of left field yeah um, for sure but um that was really great and um and i know that this is a continuing conversation we've had on the podcast um that i think that is is pertinent for us to cover right now just in brief we don't have to talk about this super long but there's a sense in which there is a lot of toxicity in terms of how 
we elevate certain behaviors of people. Like, so we've talked about um, Drive My Car. We've talked about, um, what was the name of the movie that won uh, Best Picture last, a couple of years ago? Um, wow, why am I thinking? Parasite? Parasite, that's yeah. the one. So we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've talked about Joker and all these, these films that are critically acclaimed, but they don't really project the best of humanity. And it's interesting because one of the things that um, I've noted is that all, a lot of those movies in also detail um, representation and also dealing with like issues of masculinity and what it's looked like to be yeah, health, sure. have healthy masculinity. So I wonder if we could just talk for like just a couple minutes about in your mind, um, what is the nuance there that can be missed in this discourse? Because, you know, I, on, the way that the reactionary kind of element of the of social media, the internet right now is that if you bash a film like Parasite, you're somehow going against the need for representation. And yeah, 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 sure. And things like that. And, and that's not what we're saying. And so I, I think that there's a sense in which, you know, what is it that we're actually saying when we're critiquing movies like that? The Power of the Dog would be another one. I know that we've talked about that before. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you think is at stake here in these, these films that are themselves um, elevating and, and celebrating maybe really harmful parts of our humanity, um, yet still <laughs> display kind of some uh, representation that is needed in Hollywood? And so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it just it ends up feeling self-righteous and preachy, right? Like. Mm -hmm that if we, if we show the horrors of this thing that, you know, this group of people is going to come and be, be changed mm -hmm. in the movie theater, you know, or the movies when in reality, um, people have learned to stay away from anything that the, you know, Oscars is celebrating generally speaking, mm -hmm. um, and aren't, you know, aren't necessarily interested in that. Um, and, uh, even where, you know, it has the most potential, like Black Panther, mm. um, I think choices made in some of those movies, uh, especially from, uh, Black Panther's intro in Captain America's Civil War. Right. Was a very specific intro, and he had a very specific purpose in that movie, which they kind of just tossed to the side, uh, in, in the movie. So that's a whole other conversation, of course. Yeah. Um, but, uh, very pertinent to, you know, just... Um, the agenda that comes behind it rather than making a movie telling a story like we've got to incorporate this agenda and we've got to, it's got to be this way that's the way it seems mm -hmm. um, and we can't allow room you know for uh, some kind of hope or something like that because you know the 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 narrative that is selling the narrative that people are paying attention to news wise social mm -hmm. media whatever mm -hmm. is this mm -hmm. you know we're the world is going to end and it's our fault. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, <clears throat> something we'll come back to in the Malik conversation with the New World is the treatment of Native Americans. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about context and research that Malik did for that. But if that movie was made today, uh, probably not by Malik, you know, there would be a lot more brutality from the white man towards the Native American. Right. Um, on purpose, because we need to, quote unquote, represent the worst parts of ourselves. Right. If we're not, we're not being honest. And that's the mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. where I, you know, um, get off the train of that. Mm -hmm. um, that that's the only way to be American is anti-American. The only way to be a Christian is to be in deconstruction, right? Right, yeah. And to constantly be aware of... Uh, the worst pastors and the worst parts of our culture, and, and those are the things that are being highlighted. Um, and because that's just so prominent, you know, I have, mm -hmm. you know, the I feel the need to push back against that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's altogether wrong or I don't believe those things are happening. Mm-hmm. It's not a denial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about the narrative. And this is happens in counseling. This is me as a counselor. If I'm working with somebody, I'm asking them, like, what's the narrative? What's the driving narrative in your mind? It's also part of the prison that you're mm-hmm. in, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a cultural narrative. Yeah. Um, and those who c- control the cultural narrative, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily any better in terms of the right controlling that narrative. Right. Because they don't allow for room either for certain aspects. And so it becomes this kind of extreme thing. And so, you know, either way, I'm promoting uh, the other aspects of that that are also true. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that. So in, I, I know that we've talked about this kind of in, um, uh, in podcasts past where this is a personal journey for you. Uh, like so we talked about that in terms of our conversation on hunger uh, which if you want to check that out that's up on the the podcast Absolutely. site now um, but that's a personal journey for you but I, again the overarching idea that one of the elements that makes this podcast unique is it's not just about movies it's about mental health faith kind of healing in movies and mm-hmm, things like that mm-hmm. and so I, I appreciate how you contextualize that within the mental health practice of kind of orienting people towards um health right? yeah sure like a better term and I, I think that's so so helpful because you're right like the the sense in which we can kind of just um because i see it too as, as a pastor people kind of um circling a very negative um portion and it's not it's not a negativity because i mean the the fear at least that people articulate is that if you don't look at it if you don't watch it constantly absorb it then you're just kind of sticking your head in the sand and you're trying to ignore it and that's not what we're saying either. You know, we're not saying that there aren't problems with representation in media. We're not saying there aren't problems with healthy sure. forms of masculinity. Absolutely. But what is it about these stories that can contribute to the healing of the world? That's where we kind of ended on our Joker conversation. Absolutely. What does it look like to tell a convincing story um, in that way? And so I think that this is something I'm assuming we'll come back to again and again and again in terms of our conversations For sure. here. And and maybe it's the even, you know, looking at some of these films and highlighting like we did with Joker, like, hey, this is where this is uh, leading us astray mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing, too. And so, uh, listener, just uh, stay tuned. We've got lots coming on here. But, yeah, any other final thoughts on that? I think that's that's a really helpful context, the the mental health piece. Yeah. And so, I mean, even from previous films that I've been watching, uh, some of them horror films, the new Texas Chainsaw um, and uh, After Yang, which is new Koganata, uh, he's Korean American filmmaker um, movie. And just, you know, highlighting the, again, the things you'll hear me talk about, especially with Malik here, the use of light, the use of water, um, the use of sand, these typical visual uh, motifs that are important in movies and how they're used and right. and how and what story again is being told even in the new movie X which is not one I uh, recommend because it's <laughs> pornographic yeah. um, and it's about making a pornographic movie in the 70s and it turns into a horror movie of course uh, but there's a preacher a TV preacher throughout the whole movie uh, mm-hmm. and it creates this um, different balance of um culture that's Mm -hmm. uh, feeding this thing also that's really interesting Mm -hmm. and really important in that. So anyways, you'll see me highlighting those kind of things while at the same time, especially during Oscar season, uh, being quite harsh towards the things that are being celebrated Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I just feel like could have been a lot better. Yeah. And it's something that it's, it's a collapsing of humanity into our like most raw, most empty Mm -hmm. parts too. like, in some sense, it's like it's like torture, right? In a certain sense, like yeah. that's the 
that's the element. And you know, and coming back to the, coming back to the guilt, right? Right. You should have power of a dog. You should feel guilty, right? Uh, rather than again, uh, after Yang, it's a movie about grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to move from guilt into grief. And I think there are movies that are doing that. I think uh, there's a, a host of um, a shift. I would say towards something different, uh, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Uh, but still, the movies that are being held up um, are are interesting in their lack yeah. of grief, and they're more you should feel bad about yourself. Yeah. 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 One film that I really like is I always juxtapose these in, in the classes I teach. The uh, Secret Sunshine, which is kind of a, an interesting play on forgiveness as a as it relates to someone grieving, mm-hmm. and the movie The Railway Man, which is a Colin Firth movie. I think it's the first film he did after The King's Speech, uh, which he won you know several awards for that. Um, that I don't know if you've watched, but you should check out if you haven't because they they do that well of like his anger, his fury. It's about a guy who is basically a prisoner of war, confronted his after he grew up a lot older, confronted his prison captor and was planning on killing him but instead chose to forgive him and kind of the the way that he went with his life and so sure um it's an interesting story um and it's uh, it's funny you bring up x uh is that an a24 mm-hmm. uh, yeah ty west yeah you, you gotta watch the out for those <laughs> yeah for sure uh just prepare your heart because usually yeah. there's some things in there that you can't unsee um absolutely but I, it'd be interesting to read that movie in light of also there's another film about pornography but it's, a, it's about this guy named uh uh, it's, well, it's this movie called Red Rocket. Um, I forget the name of the main character, but yeah. um, that Simon, Simon Rex portrays the character. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's one of those things that it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't do exactly what like it doesn't. I don't think it's, it's not as graphic as X is, um, and you know that's that's the challenge is like how do you portray that side of the world that we probably don't see very much in a way that's humane as well. And um, yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I don't like I forget the filmmaker's name, but he's not one of my favorites at all. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen Red Rocket yet. Yeah, I haven't yep. either, but I've heard really good things about yep. it. I was planning on seeing it, but it came out of the theaters. But um, And then the last thing I'll say uh, about that is the new animated movie Turning Red yeah. and Drive My Car. Uh, the biggest problem I had with both of those is at key points um, when there's actual you know potential grief uh, moment happening, mm-hmm. uh, there are... In Drive My Car, uh, both both of them have a it's a it's not your fault moment, mm-hmm. right? And so in Turning Red, I think the mother is actually apologizes to her mother, the grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, and the grandmother says doesn't say that's okay, I forgive you. She says it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Drive My Car, the the driver you know goes through this whole episode describing this horrific thing that she participated in. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of, again, seeking forgiveness or being forgiven, um, I think the, the other character also offers a, like, it's not your fault. So it's a, just a very secular mm-hmm. version of what our faith specifically brings, the, mm. the purpose of confession, the purpose of forgiveness, and the grief within that. But mm-hmm. we're in secular culture, it's almost like they're trying to take it away from you. Like, Absolutely. don't feel bad about that. Right. Which is super weird, while all the same, at the same time, these movies want us to feel guilty. Yeah. So there's these double binds going on that are that are very interesting. Yeah, that is it is incredible just to see that, because there are movies that do this really well. I mean, even Midnight, uh, uh, Midnight Mass that we covered, there's a really powerful narrative about, like, what does it mean to have hope in that film? 
And like, I think the director does his best to try and secularize it. But since he's using the Christian faith as a medium, sure. it kind of breaks out of the shell that he puts yeah, around it sure. in a powerful way. I don't know if you've ever gotten to see I haven't seen it yet, dude. Yeah. I, I read a thing where, you know, a person was just very upset by how Christian it was. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. just so unfortunate? Because yeah. you can tell that the director really didn't want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was just, uh, you can't play with those narratives without no doubt being I, the one of my seminary professors said this way when you deal with the things that are christian you deal with them that are white hot and you can't be surprised when you're burned no doubt um and, and like i'm burned in like a positive yeah, way like for sure just like walk away from it but yeah so any surprises with the oscars and people winning or i mean we we called that dune was probably going to wrap up all the technical stuff um, yeah coda was a big surprise for me yeah, I ended up picking it. I mean, I followed along with what people were saying. You can kind of get a vibe for what it's going to be. And I, I wiped my uh, my cheat. I was uh, like 90%, you know, got all the, the answers correct. The March Madness um, bracket. Yeah, that's right, Oscars. for the Oscars. <laughs> and uh, beat everybody in my family. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it becomes pretty predictable. And CODA was a very safe um, you know, choice for them. And what they like to do is spread everything around. So mm-hmm. Power of Dog won Best Director. Uh, Drive My Car got Best International Feature. And, you know, you can just see the, the way uh, the, the awards they give out. They're trying to, like, be nice to everybody, which is also yeah. ridiculous. And I think as you read, I, I shared an article about how the Oscars work and, and all of the campaigning that goes into it. and. Right. Um, whatever so uh so don't look up got you know they didn't get anything so that was nice i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. and yeah. I, I love the fact that because coda was just so under the radar for me in general like yeah. I, I i kind of remember seeing it um i love that the i forget the name of the actor I actually have it pulled up here the person who won best supporting uh male actor i thought that was mm-hmm. really great. yeah his um, his acceptance speech was great for sure uh, yeah troy kotsur yeah um i thought that was that was fantastic seeing the academy kind of like do the the sign language for applause i thought that was wonderful mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. wonderful uh there's some there were some real good human moments too I, and kanto winning um uh best animated i think has a that was the first movie i watched after i got engaged so that one i think will always have like a, a yeah, special yeah for sure absolutely um and then you know i i think i just mourn the fact just because i love him so much that um uh, andrew garfield didn't get more recognition uh, on uh, for the because uh, he was in he was up for the spider-man obviously with the best fan favorite yep and then tick tick boom for best actor absolutely and he was in uh, eyes of tammy faye he was fantastic in that yeah. as well it's, he is he is such a good actor, but yeah. So uh, yeah. another Oscars in the books uh, for that, and uh, some good stuff. But any final thoughts on that? As we kind of no, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Let's do 2022. This. It is 2022. We'll look for what's going to be coming up. Nothing really right now. Probably is going to make the Oscars like tonight. Uh, Morbius drops, and I've heard universally horrible things <laughs> about that film. That it is just right an on. oozing pile of garbage, is what I've heard. Yeah, but. Yeah, um, we'll we'll see it for ourselves. You know, we'll see it for ourselves. They're they're trying to pull off some like multiverse things with that, and so I think it's just it does the death of the reshoots. But mm-hmm. so anything you watching right now with our segment? What are you watching? Anything you watching right now that you'd recommend for our uh, listeners today? Well, the, you know, the horror movies I, I mentioned have uh, been super interesting to me, and uh, so I saw Finch which is a Tom Hanks movie from 2021 that I really loved. I thought um, very simple, but worked on all the visual levels Mm -hmm. Um, at the end, again, with light, sand, water, butterflies, uh, those things that represent transformation. I thought, I thought that was super good. 
Yeah, it's uh, Apple Plus. Apple Plus right now is doing some great content. Yep. Uh, you know, just all the way down, um, just really great stuff. Um, we're we're we just finished. Actually, they just wrapped up another movie, another show called Servant, which might be worth a watch for our listeners. There, it's very early Shyamalan, but it also has very late Shyamalan in it too because uh, you have no idea what's happening, and some of the dialogue is just bafflingly yeah. bad. <laughs> him and him and yep. George Lucas both they struggle, but right. it's okay. I well, did like old his movie from last summer. That was good. Yes, yeah, that was that very was good. I think I saw your list that you posted on online, and that's and right. If yeah, anyone my top wants 12. to see that, the he's got a, a twelve movies that he saw. I, I, I loved your list. So yeah. Um, well, let's dive into Malik because he deserves as much time as we can give him. Yeah, for sure. Um, a, a little bit of a background to Terrence Malik. He actually started off as a Harvard. He graduated with an undergrad degree in, in uh, philosophy from Harvard and went over to uh, the UK to study the philosophy of Martin Heidegger, which just kind of real brief, Heidegger talks a lot about this language of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an absence of transcendence, which is very interesting because um, Heidegger reads a lot of like early church figures like Augustine and Thomas. And so um, Heidegger though is trying to do away with like transcendent metaphysics and focus more on what he calls ontology. And he, he does this, this object called design, which is supposed to be human beings right and so humans help us understand what an authentic existence looks like but very famously heidegger also got in trouble recently because his uh he he was a very anti-semitic he was a huge um hitler supporter in world Mm -hmm. war ii Mm -hmm. that comes across very heavily in uh hidden life kind of his influences there um but heidegger um wrote his notebooks he kept a very detailed journal and he cataloged all of his very anti-semitic thoughts and so in the last year the heidegger family have been kind of keeping those under wraps but i think the like the last kind of holder of those passed on and the person who received it decided to translate and publish them and the president very famously of the heidegger society resigned because he couldn't like be appreciative of this character anymore because of how overt his racism was but it's very interesting um kind of to see that malik actually didn't finish his doctorate because he had a disagreement with his advisor no idea what that disagreement was but he came over taught at mit for a while taught philosophy um and then he went into um film school and became um a filmmaker and he he had some very early critically acclaimed successes um kind of in his in his work um and so yeah, he's, I mean, obviously people probably know him for like The Thin Red Line, um, which is a big movie that came out in 98, uh, and it was something that kind of vaulted him into more popular uh, success, but he's done a lot of great movies. Um, yeah, and I would say, I mean, the first two in the 70s are, are very, you know, 70s, new, quote unquote, new Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Badlands is probably his most, you know, if you want to start, uh, still the best one to start with, because it's the most um, movie experience uh you're going to have from his that are that uh quickly become uh, very poetic and full of voiceovers and and weird images and and whatever as his as he evolves but badlands it's very straightforward uh almost a it's a bonnie and clyde but almost an anti-bonnie and clyde and there's okay. a lot a lot of i mean one of his key themes overall is modernity um bringing in this kind of wendell berry perspective um, but looking at modernity versus nature um, and culture mm. um, and, and what it's doing and, and uh, exploring that. And yeah. so uh, Kit and Holly in uh, Badlands are an, an essential 
couple uh, in terms of that whole experience. So very interesting. Great yeah. movie. Oh, I need to check that out. I haven't watched all of Malik. I'm still kind of making it through. I have to process his movies very slowly. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, my favorite thing just about his movies in general, I don't know if this is something you share, is the way that he shoots his like camera angles, right? Like a lot of shots, and I saw this a lot in New World, which I hadn't seen before preparing for this podcast. Um, a lot of shots up and out, like of the kind of like a hut that, because it's the story of Pocahontas basically told a very different way, I think very powerful way. Um, and you see sure. a lot of shots of this one window that's kind of at the top of their their hut, and there's this light that's always shining in. Usually, there's a voiceover speaking up at the light, or um, in his movie *To the Wonder*, which you know I, I know that people are kind of meh on uh, Rachel McAdams, Ben Affleck, those figures. Um, I like that one. The, I mean, the priest in that one is is very interesting. Javier oh, yeah. Bardem. Yeah, I loved it. I just yep. I've heard some yep. like people who are Malik purists who hate it, and so. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting coda, <coughs> coda to Tree of Life, actually. And very much so. Tree of Life begins his more autobiographical work anyways that goes at least through Knight of Cups, if not into Song to Song as well. Oh, yeah. Knight yep. of Cups is such an interesting uh, – if you ever want to hear an interesting interview, uh, Christian Bale did an interview about like the – um, the way that Malik directed Knight of Cups, and he's just like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but go explore. The- so yeah, it's really great. But yeah. yeah, to the wonder, they do these scenes where it's just like they're panning forward, and then they just shoot up, shoot the camera up to like yep. display this kind of like looking upness. Yeah, because a lot of cinema is like uh, pointed down, kind of for sure. And so the I, I like that as kind of an interesting way of looking at, and maybe that was his disagreement over Heidegger. I don't know, but. Um, mm. He had a really interesting. Uh, it, it's it's just such a really interesting way to shoot a movie. Always looking up, always looking out, and then shots of nature. You mentioned water and dirt, like always play a role in his films. Yep. And you see those things uh, just elemental. I mean, even in a hidden life, just with the kind of almost like interludes, I would call them, of nature into yep. that story with like water kind of cascading down. I mean, even the new world ends with that picture of nature. Oh my gosh. Which is just beautiful. And uh, thin red line too. Yeah. Right. So great. Yeah. Beautiful. But, yeah. So what are kind of some of your things that you enjoy about him? Maybe, um, you know, we can start with new world um, and just see what you kind of think of that. And I yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the windows and the doorways and again, these are all cinematic devices mm-hmm. uh, to communicate you know, something liminal, which is a, you know, a trending word right now and right. on the internet and literature and wherever, but, uh, it's a great word, uh, which just means, you know, it's the doorway. It's, it's the between space, uh, between where I'm at now and, and where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. So those things, you know, forever have represented the sense of, uh, potential tra- transformation or, you know, light and dark are often mm-hmm. prominent. Um, in those that were light coming in the window, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and so Malik, I mean, it almost gets boring um, if you've seen enough Malik and spent enough time with him because he um, refers to these things so so much. And so in A New World, uh, very much, I mean, it also starts with the very first image when they start to show the map uh, has a butterfly on it. Mm. Uh, again, another representation of transformation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so New World is all about the transformation mm-hmm. of America, transformation of old world to new world, mm-hmm. um, and, and beginning to confront uh, this very... So talk about just the first, I think, 10 minutes of the movie is fascinating uh, because they uh, the Europeans arrive... 
and um, and the uh, they called them the naturals, but they're referred to mm-hmm. as enemies, uh, naturals, and savages all within you know like five minutes. Um, but mostly they talk about them as the naturals, right? Yeah. Um, and the first images are actually of the the naturals in the water, um, and everything is with them like wrapped in nature. They're very much a part of nature, yes. right? Um, so very, very beautiful and very fascinating to see them. And some of the, uh, again, uh, um, research that Malik did and the way that he created all that was working with um, Native Americans and wanting them to be able to express this fuller mm-hmm. vision and mm-hmm. version of themselves um, at that time. So it's really beautiful. Um, but then contrasted with the Europeans arriving, um, and they have armor on, right? And they have uh, their their weapons, and they're walking around the green, and they stick out like sore thumbs. Right. Um, and they're in the midst of their own kind of conflict. And then the first thing they do is start cutting down trees and building up walls and fences. Right. And um, so within, this is, again, all within the first 10 minutes, you mm-hmm. have this sense of um, these clear visual representations of defensiveness and anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And some of the things they talk about, um, they share some of the research in the edition that I have uh, of just how, you know, contented uh, and non-anxious mm-hmm. the Native Americans are and how mm-hmm. they live with nature and the seasons and the way that Jesus talks tells right. us to do mm-hmm. um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so they are very much like a part of that. They don't have clothes apart from the animal skins that they wear. Right. Um, and their world of food is mostly fish and, and whatever is seasonal, um, and they hunt. Um, so very much, you know, a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they learn everything from the what nature teaches them, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, the intro, the visual intro here is introducing this defensiveness, introducing this a- immediate anxiety mm-hmm. uh, of what's going to happen and anticipating the mm-hmm. worst, mm-hmm. Uh, preparing for the worst. Um, and then also when they build these walls, still within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I think they've already started to encounter uh, rot um, in some of the food that they brought. And right, they're yeah. all of a sudden, uh, the first winter, which is beyond the, the first 10 minutes, um, they're already starving and they don't know what's going on. And they actually then of course need to rely on the naturals. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's my, um, intro there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, love I have it. a lot else to say, but yeah. No, no, that's, it's so great. <laughs> I mean, we could spend probably several podcasts just on no breaking doubt. this down each film 10 by 10. Absolutely. Time. Yep. Cause there's so much, um, there's so much imagery crammed in there meaning, right? And so yeah. like a lot of, there's no empty space in Malik's work. Everything has a purpose and meaning and um, you know, they don't need like something to drive the plot forward other than the fact of just the sheer beauty. One of the things I was first caught with in that first 10 minutes you talk about is kind of the moment of encounter. Because you mentioned like if a new world was done today, like the moment of encounter would be much more um, violent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love kind of that moment where they're like the the naturals as as they call them. are kind of like feeling right they're touching the, the the armor they're touching the faces yeah and to see the different like reactions to that shows you almost the different models of encounter each is going to have so john smith is very yeah. 
open you know you've got the one guy who becomes president in the camp that's very resistant yeah you know and just doesn't like it and so it's kind of like different modes of encounter so you know obviously this this is a story in some sense that has to do with colonialism in like a certain way but it's read through different characters because i don't think it's like universal right sure and i love the romance between like the difference between john smith and pocahontas and uh um, John Rawls and, and Pocahontas because those are the two different modes of encounter one that in the end ultimately is deceitful and the other which is very much loving and nurturing and just seeks to support and find happiness right mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the two modes of encounter of stories like you get both sides of this um, I mean Christian uh, Bale j- it comes out of nowhere and just gives a very interesting kind of love story to to her like you know he the the courtship starts by he wants to work with her in the fields mm-hmm. right that she goes to and so to really get on the ground and literally put his hand in the dirt of yeah. with her um as opposed to john smith who comes in uh very much as like a um a soldier um seeking his seeking protection for his own life i have no reason to doubt that that romance wasn't real but you see kind of his internal dialogue about it too like did i make her love me um, did she fall in love with me? That kind of thing. And, you know, ultimately he heads back to England. Um, but the thing that I yeah. found that, and again, most compelling about this film, and I've only seen it once, and, and I realized before uh, before starting the podcast that I may have uh, watched the wrong cut. I think I watched so, the, yeah. the, theatrical cut, so I need to watch the extended cut, according to my friend Kyle. That's too. right. But the thing I love the most about it is the decay of colonialism, right, which is, is very much mirrored in the fact of, like, um, there's always just struggle, strife, um, madness kind of in the in the camps. Yeah. But there's this beauty in the encounter of the other when it's given a chance. Like when John Smith is at uh, Pocahontas's camp and he starts to learn the ways um, of her people and really encounter her, really encounter like the, you know, like there's that beautiful scene where they're teaching each other each other's language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. It's great. And so there's this beauty uh, in the other that i think is just really powerful in that like that middle portion right and in some sense i thought that the film was close to its end without really even seeing how much time was left because there's this beautiful kind of scene where um they they kind of join together and it seems like uh, they're going to join together and she's going to join their camp and they're going to help improve each other's lives but then it, it shifts dramatically towards the return of the um, English settlers yeah. back and, and then, um, you know, John Smith leaves and John Rawls comes in. And so it's really interesting to see, but that beauty of the other, I think is just such a, such a powerful image. Right. And I, yeah, they spend, um, time with him immersed with them. And then later when he's gone, her immersed in their world, which yes. is a very interesting way again, to tell that story and to visualize these intense differences, um, that are happening and that are true. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see him uh, be incorporated and embraced and to learn. And then again, uh, with her, even though it has, you know, n- negative connotation mm-hmm. for her to be colonized. Right. Right. Uh, it still is, uh, visually told in a very gracious way. And again, especially through the John Wolf character, Christian Bale, who also brings a lot of grace to the role. Um, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, about oppressive or getting dressed up in these, you know, uh, unbearable garments <laughs> yeah yeah right no, yeah it's, it's beautiful and yeah. also there's something that i thought was really interesting and i mean it's kind of left in there and that's the thing about um that i like about malik he'll put stuff in there and really not tell you at all what to do with it and just be like yeah sure there it is where one of the warriors from pocahontas's camp kind of go to england with her and he's kind of exploring um 
the, uh, the English world. Mm-hmm. You, you get really no access to kind of what he's thinking, but you just see him in that space is a really interesting absolutely kind of, kind of like picture and i just yeah. i was i fell in love with that image and i don't know what about it was so well it's fascinating right it's prov- provocative in part because sorry no you're good off. yeah um but provocative in part because it's such a controlled environment everything mm-hmm. is pruned mm-hmm. she encounters animals inside of cages right right um and so it's this opposing a world, this very controlled environment, but in its own way, extraordinarily beautiful, right? Um, and insane the 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 relationship, but ultimately, like, um, yeah, I don't know it speaks so much to, uh, in again, industry, modernity, yeah, uh, what we have you know called progress, mm-hmm. um, and considered beautiful mm-hmm. is just very yeah. very interesting, and you know potentially very manipulative as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I, one of the things, and I mean, again, I don't know what the disagreement over Heidegger was, but one of the things that was very, that Heidegger was very influential after World War II is this language of technology. And he, his line was, is that technology is that which reveals the truth in something. And I think in its user and also in the world. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, you see that the, the impact of technology on something as pure as the new world, and then also the impact of technology that has been for, you know, generations in, in England, um, and it reveals the truth of the people that wield it, you know, the animals in cages, the kind of the nicely cut lawns. I mean, that's shot with that that one man just standing there, just staring out at this vast garden of just like neatly trimmed, orderly yeah. um, garden. For me, it's just, it's just powerful, you know. And so I, again, it's just there's so many things about this that are just visually stunning um, that I that I really love very much. Um, and that kind of like decay of colonialism and just like the humanity of the people that um like the humanity of john smith like you meet him first as he's about to be hung <laughs> yeah right um which is not the story of john smith that you get in the cartoon adaptation i mean there's a lot of stories happening around this time obviously the disney um musical is happening too but like within like a decade or so there's like five or six very uh, big media portrayals of pocahontas and her love story with john smith and this is not the one that you see in the story uh, because he's very much the virtuous one in the the disney in the disney version um and here he's very much complicated Mm -hmm. and i like that a lot like he has virtue but i think that he's also you know he has his he has his uh his his, um i guess his weaknesses absolutely and um yeah he and then wit from the thin red line share a lot of uh Mm -hmm. both kind of uh more of the wild man more the spiritual character Mm -hmm. Wit's also imprisoned for a time um and bring something different and again obviously visually very different um for the john smith character Mm. and what what malik has him represent and wit in a thin red line was the minor character in the book uh, but malik made him a major character because malik basically wrote him in as a malikian kind of spiritual character yeah that's what malik does which is actually part of my criticism of hidden life Mm -hmm. uh is not getting that same experience with the protagonist of that so we can obviously yeah totally um but uh but two things before we jump that and also i want to hear your thoughts on tree of life um but in the thin red line uh that one of the themes is nature at war with itself right yeah right in the new world uh it's the wild natural world versus a civilized industrial world and in Tree of Life, they make it very uh, obvious as they discuss nature versus grace. So it's very interesting to see yeah. uh, almost these different, you know, uh, versions of nature or different mm-hmm. layers or yeah. definitions or, or whatever 
uh, come to play out in this interesting kind of trilogy. Oh yeah. And it's, I, I think that, I mean, you're right to the point of like this nature versus grace thing. I love the, how they display kind of like religion on one side. Like, you know, you've got the kind of religion of Pocahontas and her tribe and you've got the Christianity of the Europeans and everything. And, and you kind of see them blended together at certain points. There's a lot of prayers being prayed and you never know who's praying to who, <laughs> you know, like obviously. And so I think that like you see the, the very much the symbiosis of the religious um, community of um, Pocahontas and her um, people. But then you also see um, the ways in which faith kind of positively and negatively impacts um, John Smith and things like that too. Mm-hmm. And, and the prayers that they pray as well. And that's, I think why it's so attractive that there's this kind of recognition of like the beauty and grandeur of faith and this kind of spiritual nurturing the nature and grace component, I think, is is crucial. Absolutely. And that's another thing Malik uh, does well with um, a new world that I don't think would be done today, uh, that there's a, <clears throat> a lot of grace for the Christian perspective as it relates to everything, and mm-hmm. it's not the, like, mm-hmm. anti, you know, natural. It's not the anti right. thing. It's incorporated in the overall spiritual mm-hmm. uh, exploration of the film that, yeah. that includes all of that, and it's not a... Uh, for and against yeah. approach. Yeah, and I think the more powerful line, I don't know, I forget who, if it was Pocahontas or John Smith that's praying this, but the, you know, I, I don't know who you are, but I, I hear you within me and that kind of thing. And, and that kind of like search for, mm-hmm. for God is always this kind of reaching outside of oneself. Because again, that's the, I have this shot in my mind just memorized that there's that window that they're looking through to see the sun kind of beaming Absolutely, in. yeah. It's beautiful. It's great. Well, is there anything else you want to cover? I know you you have a lot on this film, but I, you know, what else did you want to uh, kind of help, yeah, just help want our listeners see? To, to wrap up about uh, New World, I have a quote from Wendell Berry in his, Perfect, uh, yeah. one of his new books called The Art of Loading Brush. And uh, Mal- or, uh, Wendell Berry says, and so my question has been and continues to be, what can cause people to destroy the places where they live, the humans and other creatures who are their neighbors, and ultimately themselves. Mm. How can humans willingly turn against the earth of which they are made, from which they live? To treat that as a scientific and technological or political question is not enough, is even misleading. The question is immediately and at least economic. What is wrong with the way we are keeping house, the way we make our living, the way we live? And to take the economic question seriously enough is right away to ask another what is happening to our souls. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, Malik uh, explores those specific questions at the end. Yeah. Our, our, our keeping house and our souls is very prominent. Very much so. And it's one of those things that you say it's the, like you can see in some sense the transformation. Like he, he gains his soul, John Smith does, when he's amongst um, Pocahontas and her people. And he kind of loses it as he kind of retracts back into that and mm-hmm. adopts like unhealthy patterns in his life. And I think that that's, that's so beautiful because it's, it is juxtaposed with this idea of nature, um, earth, dirt, water. That is so um, essential to the religious component of that. Well, this is, I mean, it's such a powerful movie. Highly recommend it. Again, to go with Kyle's recommendation, if you're looking for which version to watch, watch the extended cut, um, which I will be doing um, as, as I only saw the theatrical cut. But uh, just slight odd transition i guess into the tree of life <laughs> um this movie yeah, i first saw this is the first malik movie i ever watched wow and um i'm my understanding is it's also the most unique in the sense of like the plot doesn't move in a linear fashion i mean both with new world and, and a hidden life and i mean 
Badlands probably too. And I, I've heard the Thin Red Line as well. The There's this kind of logical progression of a story. Sure. Here you're kind of circling back to things and, and experiencing different things at different times. And you're kind of like whiplashed with all the different um, changes of scenes and mm-hmm. mash cuts and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, it was a, it's a story of, you mentioned his, his autobiographical um, work of kind of telling his own story. Um, but you see the world through the eyes of this young child. Um, and if I had to characterize this movie in one word, it would be the word beauty. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a child kind of seeing in the midst of what I presume to be great suffering, um, beauty in, in different ways. And it tells a very beautiful story about the way, and this is my thesis, so don't, don't, uh, don't think that this is from any informed like, uh, like scholar in the field, but it seems like he's telling a story, Malik is, about how, the way that God sees time. Because in the middle is the new creation piece with all of his family joined back together. Um, the tree of life actually being like a short little shrub, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, and the story kind of builds to that and from that. But in some sense, if you watch the movie backward to forward, it seems like the it spills over from that moment and then back into it, kind of like cycling back. Yeah, sure. It. Spiral. Spiral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... Um, that's what I, I kind of see this movie just that real rich I mean I, I've only ever watched it once but it's just it's the images have stayed with me um, but I mean what are your thoughts on this movie and kind of like your reactions to it uh, in comparison maybe even with the new world yeah absolutely um, <clears throat> I mean I didn't get to watch it this week but uh, first of all the creation sequence mm-hmm. um, yeah. is literally if you watch it uh, is the birth of the universe so one of the first images he starts with um, and looks like the universe actually being born, um, and and not to be graphic, but that's what it looks like. In addition to mm-hmm. uh, a number of other very much birthing images throughout, <clears throat> the one where the boy is swimming underwater through the house, he swims through the door mm-hmm. uh, when she is first giving birth, I believe. Right. So you know those things are um, are all through it, but I love that creation sequence. Actually, starts with what looks like um, the world being born. Yeah, and it tells kind of the entire narrative in that way of creation to redemption mm-hmm. um, within the the story of this one person's childhood, which is such a provocative way to tell that story. And so yeah. unique and inventive in some sense. Like, that's why I think it's it's stuck with me so bad. I mean, but you also have, like, the... We talked about nature and grace, right? His parents kind of, like, display that in themselves, too. Like, the, the mother sure. very much grace. You see her kind of floating above the ground at yeah. various points. Yeah. The father very much more hard, kind of, um, uh, like, trying to raise him up to be a responsible young man. Um, played by Brad Pitt and then Jessica Chastain, who just won, won an yeah, Oscar. Yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> so. her, yeah, there's a moment with her. Yeah, she is uh, very much a spiritual character and mm-hmm. very much represents Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a very improvised moment, which I'm sure Malik, I mean, I wish we could get interviews with him to hear him talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but one of her times, she's dancing around or whatever, and there's a butterfly around her that actually lands on her hands, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently, I mean, obviously you can't. Um, make something like that happen right yeah uh, outside of something digital but apparently that just happened and so a uh, very beautiful sequence again you know the, uh, the representation of the butterfly it's very powerful yeah I'm sure that he was freaking out behind that camera when he saw that no happening. doubt no doubt like, this is a great shot you know well um, if you see any interviews with the actors you know they will tell you Brad Pitt will tell you uh, certainly Colin Farrell but 
uh, they can be right in the middle of a scene, and if Malik sees a bird, he will literally tell the cinematographer to turn and film the bird, whatever it is. <laughs> and Malik is a part of his thing is he's a big time birder. I mean, he loves birds. Yeah, that's so great. Um, <laughs> but at any given time, he will have the, the cameraman totally looking in a different direction while they're still acting over here. <laughs> that's got to be so frustrating. Yeah, I think the no line doubt. from Night of Cups that Christian Bale said, he's like, he said, we were just, so we we're just standing in this industrial park. And, <laughs> and he said, just explore the space. And that's all he told me. And so I'm just walking around here, and there's just a camera following me. And he said, it's the weirdest acting experience I've ever had in my life. You know, he'd just come off of Batman, and then yeah, he's heading sure. into the uh, Terminator movies and things like that. And so a uh, very interesting um, difference of, of worlds from those films. To, yeah. From the Nolan-verse to Absolutely. the Malick-verse and things like that. So but it's, it's such a beautiful depiction of of time and suffering and i mean you see the boy like the like the boyhood kind of concerns like am i being faithful to what my father's teaching me and like his kind of encounter with um like women and kind of coming into his own understanding of his uh like desires for for women and things like that there's this really interesting scene with the water hose which again they have a really great way of like i think displaying the tenderness of like a boy kind of coming into his own sense of self um, which I'm yep. guessing is kind of his own experience. I think that that actually did come from his own experience. Yeah. But um, it's it's beautiful to kind of see how he envisions, or at least maybe even remembers, his own life and the way that he orients this towards new creation. Um, for me, is just so powerful. Um, that's I remember just bawling in this theater <laughs> watching that new creation scene of oh of, my gosh of, of family reunited and healing happening and just uh, yeah and thankfully yeah you saw it in a the theater I mean it was a, just an overwhelming experience mm-hmm. and there's no way to you know and there, there you know there's just no way to anticipate that and I right. think the same thing I happened you know when I watched Passion of the Christ of so just visualizing this thing mm-hmm. um, is so visceral. Right. And really intense, very intensive. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Like the, um, the language I, so I use the language of God's time. Obviously we're looking through the eyes of a young child. Um, in some sense, like the way that we kind of, as children, um, use our imagination to, you know, over-exaggerate certain moments in our life and under-exaggerate others. Mm-hmm. I still think that's a, like a great posture to understand because God doesn't see time linearly, linearly. I'm sorry. I can't, as right. in a line. There yeah. we go. As, uh, so he doesn't see that, right? And so the idea of, and I like this in a, the movie Arrival. I don't know if you ever watched that. Yeah, the yeah. Way that they talk Love about Arrival. Time. Yeah. So the way yeah, that you they, said God language. Yeah. Yeah, the God yeah. language. And yeah. so it's this, this understanding of like you see like different pictures um, of God kind of watching things almost simultaneously because all of this film is happening simultaneously, right? You've got the moments of him as an older, um, grown up, much more mature man. You've got the moments of him as a kid, and they're happening kind of on top of each other, right? And so right. God kind of sees things in this kind of weird circle yeah, yeah, yeah. that we don't see. Like, it's yeah. the, that's the we God language. From, yeah. Which I got uh, that from you. That's not mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. you commented once on that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just coming back yeah. to that. It's, yeah. It's, I, I think that that's one of a, a very underrated film. Um, but Absolutely. I, uh, a very good one and like to talk about that. I, another novel series I'd recommend if any of our listeners are novel people. Um, the, Marilyn Robinson does this in um, her Gilead quadrilogy the fourth volume just came out recently but um it's one story about this same group of people but it's told from four different perspectives so the first one's told from uh the uh, elder pastor the next one's told from like the position of uh a girl who's also in town the third one is from the wife of the pastor and the fourth one is from the disgraced son of the friend of the pastor and so it's all of these moments wrapped up together 
through this varying perspective. Mm. And there's this one scene that like one person sees it as lingering longer. Another sees it as like progressing too fast. And mm-hmm. so the way that God kind of sees through all of our perspectives of what the, the situation is like, is just a really profound thing. And I see that here in this story as well. Um, trying to get at, cause you get this, these moments where you do get Brad Pitt off by himself kind of at work. You get these moments of Jessica Chastain kind of going through her daily tasks. And then you've got these moments of the, a young boy, uh, both old and, and, and young, kind of seeing these moments in tandem as like a way of like seeing time spread out mm-hmm. in a kind of divine sense, yeah. um, which is really cool. But um, Yeah, and another, another thing that starts as well with Tree of Life and goes into um, the next one, To the Wonder and, and Night of Cups at least, I think, again, Song of the Song. But he hi- you see these moments in Tree of Life um, where – uh, you see a man who's having a seizure very briefly mm-hmm. on the ground. Right. Um, and in Knight of Cups, I think specifically he visits, you know, it looks, I mean, it all looks very real, like a clinic, you know, uh, yeah. with people um, who are obviously, you know, have been beaten up by life and are being cared for, have leprosy maybe. I think actually one of them is a, 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 does right. have leprosy. Um, and in To the Wonder, of course, the priest is visiting his, his you know, people is in a low co- low income na- neighborhood where he uh, is doing visits and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. caring for them. And so just this uh, Malik is exploring that also. And it's especially Night of Cups is such a weird experience and difficult to um, know what you're supposed to be experiencing. Mm-hmm. But when those moments come in. Uh, they're very visceral, mm, um, yeah. and and again, even the the man uh, having the seizure, it just represents like these things that, that come into your life and uh, and create you know like uh, conflict and internal kind of like what's this about? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very interesting that he began to integrate that into into his work. Yeah, and I, it's fascinating to kind of see that too. Like, I mean, I love the scene um, in To the Wonder where the priest Javier Bardem is. Um, talking to, I think, a janitor at his church, but the janitor is very kind of evangelical. The pastor, the priest is very, you know, Catholic, and yep. they're kind of exchanging religious symbols in a certain mm. kind of sense because they talk about, and I mean, this is, I think, Malik's self-service, but I'll, I'm, I'm all for it, <laughs> uh, where he talks about the light coming through the window, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a very Malik thing, and he has him put his hand up there to feel the warmth. Yep. And he talks about that as God's presence, and I'm like, there's the nod of, like, Jesus having to explain the parables to the disciples right yeah uh, because he's explaining that imagery through this character absolutely which is is just really powerful um and i think that I, one of the things i'll connect all three of our films so new world tree of life and hidden life in some senses is our season of lent yeah um, that's right because the in some sense all of these characters are going through a kind of lentinal journey of their own um and it's always a movement from you know ash wednesday of contemplating our own mortality and you see that in john smith you see that in the characters of tree of life you see that in franz jagerstadt um in a hidden life moving towards um good friday a moment of crisis and then to new creation and resurrection and things like that and so um you know i think that's a that's a this is why we decided to cover it here but as, um, as we move into A Hidden Life, are there any kind of final things you want to cover with A Tree of Life? I know that we owe oh, painfully too short on all of these, but the hope is that we give you just enough to get you to go watch it yourselves, uh, dear listener. Uh, but That's anything right. as, we're kind of, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up on Tree of Life that you'd like to share? Well, another aspect um, that is certainly utilized in A New World a little bit 
uh, begins to pick up greatly with Tree of Life is his use of classical music and very yeah. powerful pieces mm-hmm. of uh, music in Tree of Life specifically and as he moves. So there is always, you know, a typical film score going on. Right. Uh, but he's also using these big pieces. So you obviously get one with the new creation scene. Yeah. Um, and, and again, if, you know, if you've, if you've watched that movie and had a weird, you know, experience with it, cause it is disorienting. I think it, it's a movie to go back to when you actually know what to expect. It's a very different experience, yeah. um, for sure. But anyways, yeah, the music of, uh, tree of life is just transcendent. Yeah. And that, I think that was the reason why I was, I was so emotional in that scene. And I mean, the thing that if you watch Malik, there's a lot of whispering. Like, it's not very loud. I mean, the loud scenes are very intentional. Like, I think of the f- battle scene in, a, in a, a New World, right? There's there's moments where they're just kind of looking at each other. They're not just all out warring until everyone's dead. They, you can feel the sense of, like, trepidation. They don't want to be there, yeah. you know, which I love. I love yeah, that. For as, sure. as, a, as a person who, who claims a lot of nonviolence, I, it's like that honest picture of war. Yeah, and that comes from James Jones, who wrote um, the book, for that okay, um yeah. he was in he was in world war ii mm-hmm. uh and he did not like hollywood movies uh war movies mm-hmm. um and in writing that was very wanted to very much communicate like yeah. we were scared yeah oh <laughs> absolutely and I th- that's what yeah. i love about like an auth- i mean i i love about an authentic war movie like a uh, fury like with brad pitt you mm-hmm. know um which i've not it. seen i've not seen that well i won't spoil it um, yeah. but i love how that film like even though there's war and battle, like they give you the brutality of it and just the fact that people just don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so like, we tell a lot of heroic stories about war and I always think of Yoda, you know, war does not make a person great. Like mm-hmm. it, it actually really is deeply damaging. And I think, you know, anyone who works with the VA can attest to the damage that mm-hmm. war can do to people. Absolutely. So, and I mean, that's a great segue into <laughs> a hidden life. Yeah, I for think, sure. Because it's, it's a movie about war itself. Um, this is a movie um, about a, a historical character, um, much like a new uh, a new world, um, who's resisting the Nazis. If you haven't seen it, he's an Austrian kind of farmer that's been drafted, and he refuses to take the oath of allegiance to um, Hitler, and that kind of gets him in all kinds of trouble. Hence, the main portion of the sure. movie. Um, but um, I'm going to let you start with this one because I know <laughs> that uh, I'm I'm just genuinely curious because I know that you have some quarrels with this movie, but yeah, um, I know that you have some appreciations too, and so uh, yeah. What, what yeah, are your yeah, thoughts yeah, on the life? Lo- lobs some things out there. That's right. Yeah, one. I mean, it, it for our uh, we we're forming a bit of a trilogy here with yeah. uh, the passion of Bobby Sands in Hunger. That's right. Yeah. Um, the passion of Franz here in Hidden Life, and then of course we'll be doing Passion of Joan. That's right. Uh, yeah. In maybe just a few weeks here. Oh yeah. For Easter, um, and so I think that there is obviously something to that. Uh, and very interesting thing to be exploring during uh, during Lent. And, but at the same time, I think that similarly to um, Hunger and, and Bobby Sands, but also very different. But it's hard to, I think it's hard to create um, a traditional character arc with some of these, you know, passion kind of narratives because it, um, so with Franz in particular, my biggest beef is just that I don't connect with him because there's never, I don't feel like there's ever a, a moment of humanity where he's contending with the the other, the consequences of his actions around him, particularly for his family and for his kids. They immediately remove him, yeah. Um, and that there's just not a, a point. And same thing we talked about with Bobby Sands, just this overwhelming willpower. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that drives him, you know, towards this thing. And so that's not that's a that's not necessarily an empathetic right. quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. for the most part, we go to movies because we want to uh, wrestle with you know uh, imperfect people and and how they uh, transform, right? The transformational element, right? Um, that is so beautiful in a lot of these stories, and so that's missing in terms of yeah. you know you don't get to experience a transformation uh, with Franz here because he's so determined that there's never a shift in character mm-hmm. dramatically, right? right? Yeah. So. Um, and then I also had some uh, just personal, like having a wife, having kids, yeah. um, and and struggling to identify with um, just leaving my family behind. Mm-hmm. So um, and and them taking on the the you know um, the village that's rejecting them, and and them doing all the work. And again, in this Wendell Berry world, there's not. Um, a lot of resources you can't just pick up and move. Right. Um, and, and so, and I didn't feel like there was enough conflict between him and his, um, wife, especially in the latter part of the film. And the first hour is my favorite, favorite part. Cause you do get some of that tension when he's actually, you know, kind of figuring out what's going on, what he believes, um, mm-hmm. and what he's going to do. So, um, uh, and then, so in comparison with both, um, Hacksaw Ridge, which is a Mel Gibson movie about Desmond Doss, who was also uh, on the American side, um, joined up, but had you know Anabaptist beliefs and would not mm. shoot a gun. Another um, Andrew Garfield movie. <laughs> I know, uh, and also Silence, another Andrew Garfield movie. That's right. Oh, um, both of those movies, you know, provide something more. I was able to connect with. Obviously, Silence because he he has to give up, um, and Jesus even joins him in mm. his. Uh, apostasy, which is a crazy um, uh, twist is not the right word, but definitely um, oh, yeah. experience um, that you never get to experience with with uh, hidden life. And in Hacksaw Ridge, um, he you know doesn't he's he's nonviolent, but he saves all these lives. Yeah. Um, in the movie, and uh, so there's there there was it felt like something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one that was hard for me to find mm-hmm. outside of like, um, I agree, and you've put us in this you know Nazi context, and yeah. so like who's gonna be like you know no he should have made it. he should That's compromise right. <laughs> That's right. right? Um, kind of puts them in a no-win situation there. That's right. You know, and, and putting, you know, one of the quotes, it's better to suffer, suffer injustice than do it. And at a time when, again, like we're, we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff in our own world and life um, with a whole host of issues, whole host of injustices, right? Yeah. Um, and so it almost just ended up feeling so Enneagram 1 to me um, and just righteous that it, it wasn't human enough. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, and I, I think that the thing that you, the key that I don't have that you access here is the way that his family, like his responsibility to his family. Yeah. And one of the themes that kind of goes throughout this film is this idea of like, you know, you're not going to change anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Malik does that twice, which was a little annoying because it's Malik's obviously saying, well, here I am telling your story. That's right. Right. Uh, which is fine, but you don't you need to like beat us up with it. Yeah. Uh, especially in the latter part of the film, I mean, it's fine to say it at least once that that was part of the narrative, and here we yeah. are. But <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Like the, you mentioned, the absence of a spiritual character. Like there's a couple of priests or figures that are religious yeah. that come along. Like there's there's the, obviously the priest that like is kind of complicit in 
um, allowing Nazism to happen, which, you know, I mean, that's an impossible situation. And so yep. we can, I mean, we don't have to dwell on that, but the idea, you know, um, and, you know, it's funny, like I'm thinking about your, your emphasis on, on silence there. And I think there's probably, maybe we should do one of these on Scorsese. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, because I have a lot to say about silence in that final scene, I think that it's really profound, but me too. Some yeah. people hate I'm it. I'm with you. <laughs> um, well, anyway, but the, the, the kind of the quote you mentioned, you mentioned one from Wendell Berry to do a new world. The one he ends the film with from George Eliot yeah, for sure. is how I read the entire movie. The growing, and I'll just read it here. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived a faithful, a faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. And so the title sure. of the film is from that. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, and so I totally, I totally sympathize with that idea of like the, the struggle. You don't really see that. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I mentioned, I think at the beginning, either the beginning of this podcast or when we were talking before it, that I associate so much of what he does with, uh, a theologian that has been very important in my life, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. who himself was at the same prison that um, he actually, uh, he being uh, the sure. character Jägerstadt, um, I was hoping maybe that he would show up, like maybe, because I know that Malik knows who Bonhoeffer <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. And so I was hoping that he would show up in some wise way and maybe he could be that spiritual character, but yep. he never did. Um, in fact, he, he met a person that he, um, he, he knew earlier on from the service that he kind of got along with that had also kind of refused to capitulate to Hitler and things like that. Um, and so that story, like there's that scene where he's kind of like looking in the face of his uh, wife as they're sitting across the table from each other. And there's these voices telling him what to do. And there's this kind of like unspoken conversation happening between mm. them we don't get access to it i'm kind of frustrated with the uh the actors who played franz and his wife because they both said oh this isn't a, a theological film and i was just mm. like it but it is <laughs> and so yeah that's i mean weird. malik wasn't there so they were kind of left to their own devices and in some sense they were kind of d like I, there's more to his faith journey that could have been shared well i mean i agree with that and and maybe to their experience you know that was true and that's also you know a more secular thing to say yeah it is um but uh but yeah i mean even just emotionally like when they finally come back together when she comes to the prison after she's found out you know he's going to die yeah so they both have that information and they come together um and then they're not really allowed to touch but i just don't know why they weren't sobbing um and why malik would choose to restrain that moment the way that he did um and because that's what i think i needed that release of just like this is devastating, it is. right? The this is devastating, it, yeah. and then instead they're just kind of like sitting there, and not say that they're not emotional at times, but that seemed like the moment to kind of let it, let it out, you know? Yeah, that was frustrating to me. No, I totally I agree with that, and if the only thing that I can really say about this, um, uh, about this can about this film is that. Um, to make sense of that is that there's a real sense in which um, he's trying to tell a story about politics today by using yeah, right. Nazism. And in some sense, obviously, like one of the things the film does well um, is that it highlights how quickly um, politics can overwhelm a community, like the concerns and desires of it. So cause it starts out with this like beautiful picture of this Man. community that then shifts kind of almost overnight because of Hitler. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I really appreciate about that is that I think the story, the only story that I, I, I guess the story I resonate with, right. Is the story of 
how hard it is to resist. And so Franz and his no family doubt. are an anomaly. And so they have to highlight that so much that they double down on it yeah, in ways for that sure. maybe aren't helpful. Yeah. And, and they don't, I mean, in some sense, the, the, um, the tension is more revealed in the pastor who himself can't, yep. can't come alongside of the resistance yep. of resisting it. Like he, he sees the tension, yeah. but he can't finally come over to it. And in, like the, if there is a spiritual character in this film, it's the random church painter who keeps who says yeah you know, he's, I, I, he's a very Tarkovskian character so andre yeah um uh Tarkovsky and uh his movie andre rublev there's a very similar scene that i was hoping to go back and recall uh to talk about it more but yes go keep going that's that's an interesting yeah it's it, the painting of the true face of christ yeah in that's some right sense. and that's a that's a real powerful point i think he it's actually so the quote is someday i'll paint the true christ yeah. and i think that's malik talking also talking about himself who's right now making a movie about jesus I don't know really that. yeah i didn't know that yeah okay well that's yeah. great i knew the one about the cosmos but i didn't know about the um... yep in production Oh, well, that's great. I know, right? Oh, well. Hopefully. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, all I want to do is see that movie. Yeah, right. Um, but for me, like, I, I read Bonhoeffer's struggle because I know Bonhoeffer's struggle. Like, yep. He writes about the tension. And so maybe I'm reading into it more than what Malik is giving. But I just really appreciate the idea of this quote and the fact that it is very difficult to resist um, unjust things and yeah. live in a way that is faithful. Yeah. And that's why I think of this as Lent is because you know, you have this character who himself is trying to examine sure. the sins of the world and live that way. I, I would hope, I mean, granted, I don't think anybody is as resolute as he, he is. Like we all waver. I mean, even Christ wavers in the garden. right? Yeah. Right. And so in some sense, like maybe I think I, you know, that's something I hadn't seen because I was, I think I was reading into it. Bonhoeffer's struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But those moments when they see each other, right. I, I felt the sense, I mean, I'm, I'm only engaged. I'm not married, but that sense of failure that he must've felt, uh, cause you do see a lot of, of the mother, um, of the wife and, and, you know, his mother with her yeah, right. trying to live in a community, trying to, farm trying to do all this stuff yeah just, they can't do it hard work and it's it is it's just brutally hard work i mean the dirt the water i mean yeah this, this, the uh, water yeah the this, well goes dry that's right yeah and so it's just all this stuff is, is is right there in front of us and the community just completely um uh isolates her because of the actions of her husband yeah. and things like that and there's no point at which they never have that struggling moment mm-hmm. like you said it's always just kind of consistent and i'm i don't know why he insisted on the purity of that like, why did we need the purity of that moment? Because I'm sure Franz Jägerstadt felt that way. I mean, we don't even know about him. Well, the only reason we know about him, it's kind of funny because they talk about it being a hidden life, yet we're making a movie about right, it. So right. his life obviously wasn't that hidden. Um, yep. It was kind of unknown until Thomas Merton wrote about him um, in a book on faith and nonviolence. And, Interesting, yeah. And so this has been kind of a recent recovery of his story uh, in light of that. But anyway, yeah. So that's, Yeah, and yeah, for sure. That's what we're going yeah, to see. Yeah, I think that's great, and that makes sense. And I do think, yeah, uh, Malik was, you know, just doubling down on the passion side of it, you know, and mm-hmm. was going in um, in terms of it being a metaphor for direct metaphor for Christ. Yeah. Um, and so the things I lo- I really love about the movie, uh, one, the, the soundtrack here is yeah, also just good. so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's e- <clears throat> extraordinarily uh, Wendell Berry again, even to the vulnerability of being a family who mm-hmm. has been marginalized and what mm-hmm. that means for them. Yeah. They can't just go to, you know, the Costco on the other side of town. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, to avoid people. 
Um, they are con- and the kids are being bullied. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a very, it's a, a painful and, and ugly situation, but right. you do get to see like this non-industrial life that, uh, before, you know, these moments, and I, I do feel like this, this watch in particular, uh, that they do seem to be reintegrated into the community by the end of it. Right. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's true. Um, but anyways, the shots of the mountains and the church and the fields and, you know, them working, um, in the, with the wheat and all these things are just, you know, great, great, uh, images, uh, biblical images. And so, and then he, uh, integrates a couple, I mean, so my favorite Van Gogh is the sower and there's a number of sower paintings. Um, and, but, uh, he has fronds in the first hour, uh, sewing across the soil. Uh, and it's right out of Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, like I love that he's capable and, uh, Malik produced two documentaries last decade, one that included some Wendell Berry, um, poetry. And the other one was actually about Wendell Berry. I don't know if oh, you've wow. seen these. No, I haven't. I yeah. So those. you should definitely see the one, um, I mean, you should see both of them. They're great. Uh, but the one about Wendell is excellent. Um, and anyway, so, you know, Malik is definitely on board with, with Wendell Berry. Uh, and I'm sure, of course, um, he's obviously greatly knowledgeable of Van Gogh. And so I love that, that the incorporating the way that Van Gogh would paint the sun uh, mm-hmm. in different images. Um, and all of that was just really, really extraordinary. And then again, like, you know, Girls with Eggs, Spring was very prominent. And, and when Franz is in prison talking about Spring, um, yeah. these kinds of, again, transformational kinds of things that, uh, that yeah. really matter. And there was also a wild man in the woods. Yeah. Uh, they showed twice, uh, which I just thought was interesting. And that, that again, speaks to uh, potentially a whole number of yeah. uh, things regarding the context, the story that he's telling, which, mm-hmm. I, which I think, again, layers it and makes it interesting to watch more than once. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, with all these movies and with all of Terrence Malick, like you get more, the more you watch it. And I, I just haven't been able to watch them as much as I like, but this one is it's three hours. So buckle up. Um, but I, I love the, I love the images also of, um, so like there's a scene where he's talking with his fellow prisoner about the execution block, which is beheading. And he mm. talks and he was ultimately beheaded himself. And he, um, you know, like there's this moment where he's writing a letter to his wife and he's he's trying to explain to another prisoner how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it speaks to the fact that, you know, he's a little bit more okay with this than he should be. <laughs> but then sure. the, the, the but the prisoner who talks about like being beheaded and then reaching up in, in the new creation and pulling his head back onto mm. his body, that sense of yeah. healing that I really appreciate. There's yeah, a similar absolutely. image in the Midnight Mass film, I mean, show, where this this girl that was maimed in, in an accident, you know, she is seen as whole in the new creation, mm. which I really appreciate. Mm. Um, and so, like that image for me also spoke as well. Um, but it's just, I mean, there's so much here, and and no I, doubt. I I think that you know, I think you've opened me to that new perspective of not seeing that. I hadn't realized how much my Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. knowledge had mapped onto that space. Yeah, for sure. And so that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, anything as we kind of wrap up here about our Malik study? I think that's good, man. I think um, th- there's absolutely uh, lots and lots more, but I think we've we've covered plenty Quite of bit, ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, th- I guess that about does it for us today here on the Art House Roadshow. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we got a lot of content coming up. 
Uh, if you want to help the podcast, best way to do it is to leave a review on whatever platform you find yourself listening to us on. It really helps others find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for other stuff coming out. We'll have uh, another episode of our Star Wars MacGuffins leading up to the release of Obi-Wan coming out next week. Uh, you'll see a review of Moon Knight coming out soon. And then episode six, uh, which Kyle mentioned, will be in a few weeks because we're going to cover it for Easter. We're going to talk about the passion of the Joan of Arc. Right. Um, and so be looking for those things, um, and we will be happy to join you then. Uh, uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up here today? No, I'm all good, man. This is good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, be well, be safe, everyone, and we'll see you next time here on the Art House Road Show. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.